Hello and welcome to Cosmos Science Daily, where journalists the Cosmos Newsroom report on the latest research and discoveries and explain the science behind the headline news. Today's newsroom journalist and astrophysicist Claire Kenyon is talking about the inner ear of evolving mammalian ancestors. And I am Dr. Sophie Calabretto, applied mathematician and fluid mechanist who is pretty sure she's evolved and a mammal. Now, an international collaboration of researchers has been trying to better pinpoint exactly when in history mammals switched from being cold-blooded to being warm-blooded by looking at fossils of the inner ear of mammals from the late Triassic period. So, Claire, that sounds a little bit strange to me. Maybe you can earlighten us. It's definitely a bit Weird, uh-huh. but he- hear me out. <laughs> so, Sophie and everyone listening, do this thing, right? You're going to feel silly if you're sitting on the train. I want you to move your head around a bit, you know, side to side, look yep. left, angle it up. Did you fall over? I didn't. I did a really no. good job and I did not fall over at all. Well done. Okay, now if I said to you, I mean, you don't have to do it now and don't do this if you're driving, but, you know, stand up and try it. Then give it a bit of a wiggle, look behind you, move your head around. Did you fall over? Probably not. Hopefully the answer is no. I hope not. I mean, look, if you've got some serious issues like vertigo and things like that, you can struggle with that and we'll talk about that in a sec. But for most of us, this really isn't too difficult, you know, looking around and and wiggling around and moving our body through space. It doesn't really affect our balance that much. Now that's because inside our inner ears, which is the sort of closest part to the internal bit, there's this fluid And when we move around and we look around and everything, it sloshes around in our brain, right? (laughs) And we move and we move and these cells inside the, the inner areas of our ear, they pick up this movement and they send these signals to our brains for interpretation. You know, and our brain is this amazing computer and it puts it all together and it keeps us on the level, so to speak, with our surroundings. I apologise. That's probably the last of the puns. Maybe, no, please, Claire, don't, not. don't say that. Keep going. We all <laughs> love it. And, um, and in fact, if you stop, I quit. Pun central, here we come. Look, people that have vertigo or, you know, similar problems, you know, I once actually flew into Perth Airport in WA and I perforated an eardrum and then somebody dared me to sit on the bottom of an ocean floor or a sea floor about a metre or so down below and I didn't know I'd perforated my eardrum and the water rushed in and, oh, my God, the pain. And I didn't know which way was up because my head wasn't really cooperating with my body and that sort of like really gave me a good idea of, the need for that fluid in my ear and not this fluid, which was seawater. So, you know, when things aren't functioning properly, definitely can affect your balance. That sounds really intense and terrifying, Claire. I feel like my only issue is that if I stand up too quickly, I get dizzy, but I think that's because I have low blood pressure and it has absolutely nothing to do with my inner ear and I just don't learn from my mistakes. But I do have a question. (laughs) Cold-blooded animals have ears too, So how exactly does this help scientists work out when mammals became warm-blooded? Because I think that's where we're getting eventually. Yeah, 100%. I mean, good observation. (laughs) Cold-blooded animals definitely have ears too, and they also have inner ear canals as well. So there's definitely similarity there. But the key is the warm blood versus cold blood thing. So look, imagine you've got a stick of butter. It's kind of solid-ish. You pop it in the microwave even just for a few seconds, right, and it goes runny right? So we call it, um, you'd know this as a fluid mechanist, right? So viscosity, of course. Oh, you're getting me excited, Claire. Yeah. So viscosity, of course, is when things are kind of thick and they mm-hmm. don't really want to flow. They're resistant to flow. Non-viscous fluids 
flow freely. So things like water, you know, that's pretty non-viscous. So with a change of just a few degrees, you can have something like butter go from something viscous and sticky to quite runny and not sticky. And it turns out that this fluid in our ears, it's sloshing around and helping us keep our balance, which is technically known as endolymph fluid. It operates like this too. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So so here's the key, right? We look at the inner ear structures of cold-blooded or ectothermic creatures today. So they're fish, snakes, reptiles, that sort of thing, amphibians. You know, they're the ones that can't sort of regulate their own inner temperature and they need the sun or external warmth to actually kind of stay alive. Mm-hmm. When we look at their inner ears, they have a different structure to warm-blooded or endothermic creatures like mammals, which you rightly pointed out at the beginning, Sophie, includes yourself, yes, myself, and probably our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the ear canals of modern mammals actually tend to be smaller and rounder than the ones that we see in today's cold-blooded creatures. And I had this chat with this paper's author, one of the authors, Kenneth Angelzik, from the US Field Museum, and he explained that these smaller and rounder canals that mammals have actually mm-hmm. work a lot better for this runnier, less viscous endolymph fluid found in mammals. So mammals actually have a quite a lot higher internal body temperature, which makes this fluid less viscous, and they need these smaller rounder canals to actually uh, maintain their balance and to operate normally. Okay, this is amazing, and you need to clarify something for me though, because I'm I'm good at fluids, but I'm not great at fossils. Can they see this in the fossil record? Yeah, so I actually was curious about this too, and I was like, look, uh, Ken Angelzik, I said, you know, is it chicken or egg? You know, like you're looking at the at, at these fossils. How do you know that that these canals sort of didn't develop this way first and then the fluid sort of became, you know, less viscous or more runny later? And he just went, well, it's very unlikely that they would evolve these canals first because actually it's probably more likely it would negatively affect the animal. There's no reason to suddenly just change if there's no sort of reason to change. And so he said, look, they go, at the, there's tiny little bone structures that they look at in fossils from, you know, got millions of years ago from these little mammals. So now when they look at mammals these days and they see these small canals, they're like, oh, okay, this is because basically there was a time where mammals suddenly increased their body temperature by five to six degrees, I think maybe five to nine degrees, and that heated up the fluid and then the canals changed. So what they did is they looked back in time at the fossil record of these mammals and found this spot where these canals suddenly shifted from being not really circular and large to small and rounded. And so they went, aha, this area at the late Triassic, that's when endothermian mammals emerged. So it's pretty cool. But, you know, finding ear fossils, like finding fossils is hard, right? But finding tiny little ear fossil bones intact, pretty challenging. Like finding ear fossil bones in a haystack, if you will. <laughs> Not even a pun that makes sense. Okay, now you got to clarify something else for me, Claire. I'm loving this. This is very interesting. I know that evolution is a slow process, so I'm guessing this kind of evolution took a pretty long time as well? Well, actually... No, not really. I mean, it actually looks like it happened suddenly. And I don't mean, you know, sudden, like a stick of butter takes a few seconds. I'm talking 
a million years, you okay. know, that's quite sudden to a geologist um, <laughs> and to evolutionist. Um, I can't even speak. This whole one is just, it's getting me. Let's start this again, Chuck. All right. I did it again. it took a while. Bam. Right. So actually it was quite sudden. No. Yeah, sudden, but not like two to three seconds in a microwave butter to liquid sudden. I'm talking geologically sudden. Okay, I'm, I'm happier with that kind of sudden. That's the sudden that I understand. Yeah, so it's like a million years, but still that's really quite sudden in terms of the time it takes for evolution to happen. Right. So the late Triassic spans from around 201.3 million years ago to 238 or so million years ago, and it was a huge change, like everything changed. We had volcanic activity in the Atlantic Ocean, heaps of carbon dioxide or sulfur dioxide being released. It really seriously affected the ocean. It was really unstable. We had climate change. We had rising sea levels and the oceans became more acidic. So we had mass die-offs of uh, marine and land life. And, you know, huge numbers of species went extinct, leaving room for those who did survive Mm -hmm. to multiply and diversify. And here we are, Sophie, listening to this. And boy, howdy, did I love listening to this. Thank you so much, Claire. And thank you to everyone else for listening. Be sure to keep an ear out. We're even punning. We're even punning in the outro. Love it. Be sure to keep an ear out for our next installment of Cosmos Science Daily. This podcast was brought to you by Cosmos, a publication of the Royal Institution of Australia. From Listener and Cosmos Magazine comes Huh? Science Explained, a new weekly podcast answering all of life's questions, big and small, in just 10 minutes. Download the Listener app now and listen for free. Listener.